I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. That dropped off my daughter at her internship. Okay, so the last three podcasts, I've been talking all about Urza's destiny. And I'm close to done, but not quite done. So today is my, I believe, it should be my final podcast on Urza's destiny. Um, anyway, this has been fun. This, this is, uh, Urza's destiny, is, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a long time ago. You know, I've, uh, Kaladesh was my 20th design lead or co-lead. Um, and Urza's destiny is my third, I think. So basically, it's, it's been quite a while. Um, so, uh, anyway, it's, it, I always have fun thinking back and sort of like uh, remembering from long ago. This was a long time. Like, uh, Earth's Destiny was, what time was it? Was, um, uh, I would have worked on this. Okay, Urza's Saga, when did Urza's Saga came out? Urza Tempest came out in 98, I think. So this came out in 99. So I would have worked on this in 97, 98. So almost 20 years ago. Okay. We were up to S. So the next card is Scent of Jasmine. It's an instant that costs one white, single mana, which is white. Reveal any number of white cards from your hand, and you gain two life for each white card revealed. Okay, so this was part of the scent. So I talked about this a little bit in the, my first podcast on, on Ursus Destiny. Um, one of the mechanics we played around with was a reveal mechanic where as an additional cost to either play a spell or to activate an ability on a creature, you had to reveal some number of cards from your hand of a certain color. So Santa Jasmine is looking for white cards. Um, so anyway, the, I, I like this, these two cycles quite a bit. And, and you'll see in later designs, I, I, I came back to the well of caring about um, cards in your hand as a resource. That would be something that we, would pop up again later in design. Um, Santa Jasmine specifically... I could have talked about any of the five scents as the example of a scent, but I chose Scent of Jasmine. Why? Um, so one of the things back in the day, so you got to remember when I worked on Urza Saga, I was still a developer. I mean, well, I guess I was a designer slash developer, but I was still doing development. I, 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 while I was starting to do design, obviously I designed the set, um, I was still, my day job was still doing development. And so I was on the development team for Urza Saga and Urza's Legacy. I think Ursus Destiny, because I was the only design team member, uh, everybody but me was on the development team. Actually, I was not on the development team for Ursus Destiny. Um, but anyway, uh, because I was one of the developers, uh, I participated in what was... I don't know whether it was called the FFL at the time. Uh, the FFL, for those that don't know, stands for the Future Future League. It's where we play Magic of the Future. And the idea is we want to play Magic... We, you know, we, we play ahead, so the cards we're working on, or the cards in development usually, are the cards that are in the, like, we're playing standard as if the current stuff in development is in standard, is usually how we play. The idea being, we want to figure out whether or not something is going to cause a problem. And so we're playing in an environment that one day, when this set gets released, will be standard. Um, and I used to play in the FFL. I, I, don't, I don't have time anymore. Nor... nor um, that doesn't always play to my strengths. But anyway, my favorite FFL tech I ever built was for Urza's Destiny. I was very excited to play Urza's Destiny. And so I built this mono-white deck. Um, it had some Yagmas Bargains. I, I, I think last time I talked about it, I said there were four Yagmas Bargains. I didn't even know there were four. There probably were less than four because I didn't need four. I would Academy Rector one out usually. So I probably only had... I, my guess is I had two, but... Um, 
the only reason you wouldn't have one is if you draw it in your hand and the main way to get it's Academy Rector, then you get in trouble. So um, my guess is that I had it. Anyway, uh, the idea though is, is this mono white deck. And so Yawgmoth's Bargain, which I will get to later today, allows you to pay life for cards. So the reason that sent a Jasmine, so the idea was the deck was mono white, it had uh, Academy Rectors, and it had Replenishes, uh, and a bunch of other enchantments and stuff. Um, but the main thing in the deck was that I had Yawgmoth's Bargain, and then I had Scent of Jasmine. And the thing about Scent of Jasmine was I had a mono white deck. So if I, can't send, if I cast Scent of Jasmine, um, all the cards in my hand, minus my planes, for example, would be white cards. So I could get pretty big life swings with Scent of Jasmine. You know, I, I could get somewhere between 6 to 10 life a lot of the time. Well, if you have a Yawgmoth's Bargain in play where every life is a card, okay, well, drawing six cards, you know, essentially my deck was a combo deck. I don't even remember the exact win condition of it. Um, I know it used enchantments because the deck was enchantment-based. But I had, I had some win condition. I don't even remember what it was that was enchantments. Really, it was all about um, getting the bargain out and then drawing lots of cards, and there was just a bunch of ways to win. I mean, once you get a far enough on your, on your opponent on card advantage, you know, once I'm ahead of you by 10, 12, 20 cards, like, eh, I'm probably going to beat you. Um, but anyway, so that's the, the interesting story. So I, I made this deck. It actually played pretty well. Um, the interesting story is not about the making of the deck or the FFL per se. It's when Urza's Destiny comes out, I write an article, I think in the Duelist, where I talk about this deck. Um, and the deck, you know, this mono-white deck with Yogmas Bargains in it. And I got so much crap from the community for this deck. They thought it was the, the craziest deck. And I was just like, yeah, to play the deck. The deck is a good deck. I mean, I'm sure a few of the cards that, that I had because of my deck had been changed. So, although, ironically, neither Replenished nor Academy Rector got changed. Um, yeah, one of my comments about this is I really, really would have spent more time on costing if I realized the development team would leave some of my more aggressive costing alone. Um, anyway, there were a few other things. In fact, I know Yawgmoth's Bargain itself got changed, although when we get to Yawgmoth's Bargain, I don't think it got changed to make it weaker. I mean... I think they thought they were making it weaker, but I don't think they did. Um, but anyway, I got so much craft for this deck. And, and people were like, Scent of Jasmine? Really? I'm like, uh, when I can draw cards for life, uh, gaining life is really important. So anyway, um, anyway that, that's, whenever I think of Scent of Jasmine, I just think of all the crap I got for this deck, which what I thought was, like, I, I had a winning, I, I won with the deck. I did really well with the deck. But that, you know, and I'm, I'm not, uh, well, I'm a Johnny deck builder. I like building fun and weird decks. I'm not known for building completely strong decks. And this was a strong deck. This was a very competitive deck. Anyway, I'm sure a response to this is, what? What were you doing? Okay, next, Scrying Glass. So Scrying Glass is an artifact, cost two. So spend three, choose a number greater than zero and a color. Opponent reveals their hand. And if they have the correct, if you're correct, you get to draw a card. So let me walk through what that means. So I have to name a color, so I have to name one of the five magic colors, uh, and then I name a number, but I can't name zero. So the idea is I'm trying to predict how many cards of a certain type are in your hand. So let's say, for example, I go, okay, you're playing blue-red. Okay, you have four cards in your hand. How many of those are blue? I'll say two. Okay, blue, two. Then you reveal your hand. If you have exactly two blue cards in your hand, I get to draw a card. Now, the cool thing about this is I get to see your hand because I've guessed. And so the idea is my opponent is now kind of like, they know what I know, and they're trying hard not to make sure that is true. Because if I can correctly guess something, then I'm going to get a card. Um, so this card, I made this card, and one of the things is, uh, in Tempest, Richard Garfield made a card called, um, 
uh, what was it called? Curse, Curse Scroll. Uh, and Richard had made the card as a kind of a bluffing card. Um, Curse Scroll basically is, uh, how does Curse Scroll work? You um, name a card and then your opponent randomly picks a card from your hand and if they pick the name card, um, then you damage gets done. Um, and so the idea is there, or did I say that backwards? Right, right. You, you, the person using the curse scroll, name a card. They pick the card you name, then you do damage. And so there's a bluffing aspect to it where sometimes you might not even have the card in your hand, but you name the card and, oh, you missed. But really, um, the whole idea behind it was making them think something you didn't have. Anyway, I, I liked kind of some of the mini games of that. And so I really was into the idea of um, little artifacts that play these little mini games for like, okay, I'm going to play a little game. And this game is kind of like, okay, I'm trying to figure out what's in your hand. Uh, and I'm going to use whatever data I have to figure it out. And then once I know that, this is a little game where you are trying to shake it up so I don't quite know what's happening. Um, but anyway, this is one of those cards that like, I, it entertains me a great deal in that, uh, I mean, it's an okay card. This is not a particularly a strong card. This is what, like I talked a uh, a lot of the cards I've been talking about during this, uh, these podcasts have been like, you know, tournament-level cards. Eh, it's never a tournament-level card. But it was a fun card. It's an interesting card. It's a neat design. Um, and this is the kind of thing that I was very, very proud of in Urza's Destiny is I feel like if you look through Urza's Destiny, which you can't, go, little homework, homework, didn't know there'd be homework. Uh, go look through Urza's Destiny. Urza's, I'm really proud. It, it's a very quirky, fun set. Um, and I really... I think because I sort of had free reign, I really made a lot of cool, quirky little cards. I mean, there's also a lot of powerful cards in there. My intent really wasn't to make a, a powerful set, although, I mean, I assume development would, you know, appropriately adjust stuff. Um, but anyway, I, I like Scrying Glass. Scrying Glass is a cool card. Okay, next. Next artifact. Storage Matrix. So Storage Matrix costs three. Uh, uh, if it, and, and if Storage Matrix is untapped, each player chooses either artifact, creature, or land... Um, and then during their untap, they only untap the one they named. So this was, so there's a card in Alpha called the Winter Orb. And Winter Orb only lets you untap one land a turn. Um, and then there was a card called Smoke, which only lets you untap one creature a turn. Um, and was there one? I don't think there was one for artifacts. There might have been one for artifacts in, um, in Antiquities. Anyway, I kind of like the idea of, okay, I'm limiting how often you untap things. But I just wanted to mix it up a little bit. I wanted to make something that was kind of cool. So the idea here of this card was, okay, you can untap everything. So what you can do, for example, is you can make a deck where you lean your deck. Like, imagine, for example, you made a deck where most of your things are artifacts, because I love artifacts. And you play Storage Matrix. Well, if you say, okay, I only untap artifacts, but most of my things are artifacts, you, know, you can build around it to a certain extent. Um, and once again, it was like... A lot of the card design for me is I like to make cards that do interesting, weird things and then say to people, okay, how, how do you use that? It's not that I necessarily knew exactly how people would use this, but I knew, for example, it was a tool by which you could slow people down. And um, I had a deck. So um, one of the things I used to do is, uh, this is not, I previously talked about my FFL decks, but this is more my, uh, my fun decks. Is, um, in fact, this is before I came to Wizards. Uh, one of the things I used to do back when I was, you know, not a Wizards employee, but just a Magic player, is I would make fun decks, which I would name, and literally name, I'd give them like a name like Bruce or something. Um, and I would, I would have fun sort of um, playing people, and they're like, what's going on? What's this deck doing? You know, and I, I really would have fun making decks that kind of, you didn't quite know what I was up to, and part of the fun of playing me was trying to figure out what was happening. Um, and I think that this is the kind of card that, like, 
there's a deck I had, I don't, don't remember the name of the deck anymore, but there's a deck I had that when I first came to Wizards, um, I said I wanted to work for Wizards. As if the story real quickly is, I was a freelancer, I said I wanted to work, I, I, I kept coming up to Wizards on freelance, and then one of the times I was up there, I said, you know what, I'd be willing to move here, and then the, the Mike Davis, who was the head of R&D, said, when can you start, was the, the line. Um, but the idea was, I officially had to go through channels, I, ha I had to be interviewed, uh, even though it, the writing was on the wall, they wanted to hire me. Um, and most of the interviews were more like I was, I, the, I was asking them questions. It wasn't like they really were, they knew me already, so it wasn't like most of my interviews were not, um, what are you up to, and tell us about yourself. It was more just like, okay, hey, when you come here, what do you want to know? And you know, I'd ask questions about practical things so I could like figure out moving and things. Um, but one of my interviews with Joel Mick, uh, he, his interview with me is he wanted to play me a game of magic. And so I had this, I don't remember the name of the deck. Uh, I had this deck, and the, the whole idea of the deck ran off land tax, which was this card that said if your opponent had more land than you, you got to go get uh, a whole bunch of planes, three planes, I think, out of your deck. And it, it just gave you huge card advantage, and most people didn't understand it. And, um, but anyway, the deck, what it did is, it's what we call a bleeder deck. It just would gum you up. It just would keep you from doing anything, and then um, it would just like, in small incremental ways beat you. Um, and I remember I played Joel with this deck and I beat him, but not only did I beat him, he didn't quite like, my deck was weird enough that he didn't quite understand what it was doing. And so not only did I beat him, but I impressed him because I, you know, Joel, Joel was a good magic player, you know, and I beat him, but I beat him in a way where he like, he wasn't quite sure what was going on. And you know, he really, he liked my deck. And so um, I passed that interview. Um, anyway, I bring all that up is that deck was one of my favorite decks that I played for a long time. And Storage Matrix was like handmade to go in that deck. I believe that's why I made it. Uh, is it, it, it was made to go in the kind of deck that that was. The sort of like gum you up -y bleeder type deck. Um, anyway, that's a long way of explaining why I made Storage Matrix, but I didn't. Okay, next. Tethered Griffin. So it costs one white mana, single white. Uh, a 2-3 Griffin. It's got flying. And if you control no enchantments, you sacrifice it. So this is the third one. I talked about uh, Coveted Dragon, Emperor Crocodile. Well, Tethered Griffin was the third in the cycle. So um, Coveted Dragon cared about artifacts. Uh, Emperor, uh, Emperor Crocodile cared about creatures. This one cared about enchantments. And so the idea was I got this really cheap creature uh, in a flyer to boot, but I had to have an enchantment in order to, to keep it about. And one of the common things you would do is... Um, Sometimes you would get enchantments out, but then once you got this out, you would put a creature enchantment on it sometimes. It's just like, well, you know, as long as the creature's in play, there's an enchantment on it, and that'll keep it in play. Uh, but you had to have another enchantment out first, obviously, to be able to play this. Um, but anyway, that the, the, one of the things that you also see as we walk through Urge's uh, Destiny, you'll see is there are a lot of little mini-cycles. I, I, I love structure, so there are a lot of mini-cycles worked in, a lot of different things that I did. Not all of them were full cycles. I mean... I mean I guess this was a full cycle, but not a five-card cycle. Okay, next, Thieving Magpie. Two blue-blue for a 1-3 bird with flying. Uh, when you deal combat damage to an opponent, you draw a card. So there's a card called Ophidian, uh, which was in... What's that was Ophidian in? Um, Ophidian was in Weatherlight, I think. Anyway, Ophidian was a snake... Um, that when it hits you, instead of doing damage, you could draw a card. Um, I did not make Ophidian the mechanic. I didn't make the card, although I named it. Ophidian is my name. Um, 
because they had drawn a snake and we wanted an amphibian means snake. And so, anyway, um, the uh, I liked amphibian. I liked the card. But the replacement, like, one of the things we did back in the day is what we call saboteurs. And the way saboteurs originally worked, um, what we now call saboteurs are things like Thieving Magpie, that I do damage and then I do something. But back in the day, saboteurs were, in, in exchange for doing damage, I can do something. Um, and what we found was it would just slow the game down. It's like, well, I want to get this ability, so I'll attack and not do any damage and then get my ability. And, like, we finally realized, that, you know, it's just better. Let them do the damage, you know. I mean, we can, we can balance how much damage they're doing versus the effect they get. So I like the Fidian. I just wanted to make a, a cleaner Fidian. Um, and just, you know, we ended up, I made, I made it fly just because the Fidian was, was a little bit hard to get through. Um, and I, I just liked making it sort of a modern day uh, saboteur versus an old school saboteur. So, I mean, that's where Thieving Magpie came from. It's been a card that's been in a lot, a lot of different sets. Like, it was a nice, simple version of the card. This is one of the fun things about going back to, you know, 1997 or so is I got to design a lot of things that like this is the first time we did it there's a lot of like very clean clean cards in Urza's Destiny because I was messing in pretty virgin space you know for example when I was doing death triggers I don't think there were a lot of cards that existed with death triggers so I got to do a lot of simple death triggers I got to you know Thieving Magpie is a good example of and this is one of the things I did in Urza's Destiny is okay I have some time and space um, to make cards I have a whole file to fill let me let me like Make some cards that I've been meaning to want to make. I like Ophidian, but let's just make a cleaner Ophidian. And Thieving Magpie was just straight up a cleaner Ophidian. Okay, next, Thran Golem. Five mana for a 3-3 three, three Golem. Uh, if enchanted, if, if, uh, if, sorry, if uh, Thran Golem is enchanted, it gets plus two, plus two, flying, first strike, and trample. Um, so this was, I had a vertical blue cycle where if you enchanted the creature, it got better. This was my splashy rare. Um, I mean, we didn't have mythic rares at the time. This is kind of, kind of like a mythic rare sort of thing. Um, and the idea was, look, three man, five mana for a 3-3, three, three, nothing special. Five mana for a 5-5 five, five flying first strike and trample creature? Yeah, that's pretty good. So, um, as I mentioned in my first podcast, uh, around, around six edition, at some point, I, I really wanted to push for all artifact creatures having a creature type. And I, I, think, I think that finally went through in sixth edition, I think. Anyway, this was the first golem that actually had creature-type golem written on it. Um, I think we retroactively made some old things golems that were golems flavor-wise, because um, Alpha had golems in it. But this was the first set to actually have the word golem written on the card, uh, in the creature-type line, obviously, not in the, not in the title. Um, but anyway, this was just the splashiest version of the cycle. I mean, I ha- it's weird I had a vertical cycle and then one more. Um, I'm not sure why I did that. Uh, but anyway, this was fun. People really liked it. It was a cool card. So, um, go through and go. Okay, next, Treachery. So, Treachery costs three blue-blue for an enchantment. It's an enchant creature. When it enters the battlefield, you untap five lands, and then you control enchanted creature. So, uh, when I first talked about this set, I talked about how Urza Saga had cycling and echo. True. Um, the other thing is, we also had other mechanics that went on. I talked about, uh, with Lurking, was it Lurking Hounds? Lurking Jackals. I talked about how we had the, the enchantments that woke up. Uh, another mechanic that we had, which actually was my mechanic, what we called the free mechanic. Uh, so what happened was, Ice Age had cantrips in it. And then I think Mirage had cantrips in it. And Tempest had cantrips in it, I think. Oh, no, no, Mirage didn't have cantrips in it, but Tempest did. 
And then I wanted to put more temp uh, cantrips in, in, in um, Urza Saga because cantrips are just useful. But Bill really felt that, like, we should save cantrips. Because um, I, I think he thought cantrips were a little more exciting. I mean, cantrips are useful and functional, but I think Bill was thinking they were a little more splashy than they were. So he's like, let's not do cantrips. So he didn't want us to do cantrips. So I came up with the idea of, okay, well, if you have a card, instead of replacing the card, because one of the neat things about uh, a cantrip is like, oh, I, I, I don't, it allows me to get effect without losing a card. Well, I said, what if instead of not losing the card, you lose the card, but you don't lose the mana? And the idea of the freeze ball said, okay, if you have enough mana to cast it, then we'll untap the lands equal to what it costs to tap it. So essentially, it's free if you have enough lands to cast it. Um, that mechanic was kind of broken, um, but it was something that we had done in Urza's Saga and Urza's Legacy. So I did one. I put one here. Uh, it turns out to be a really strong card. Treachery is a very strong card. So uh, um, for starters, it's five mana for a control magic, which we long since realized is a little on the aggressive side. I mean, original magic had it at four mana. Like control magic in alpha was four mana. So clearly here I put it at five mana because it's free. But now I, I believe we do it at higher mana anyway. So anyway, this is a pretty strong spell. One of the things we always used to do in the third set was make sure we saw, like, anything that went on in the first two sets, we wanted, that were big enough themes, we wanted to at least have a, a tip of the hat to. So this is my, hey, untap exists. Um, and I just made one of them. Uh, I, obviously, the one I made is really strong, but uh, I, I just made one of them. So, um, but anyway, the one free mechanic. So, the, by the way, uh, it is quite possible that the free mechanic is the most broken mechanic I've ever made. I mean, I also made dredge, uh, maybe it's dredge, but um, but I didn't make storm. Right, didn't make storm. Um, but the free mechanic, I think Eric thinks the free mechanic's the most broken thing. The reason the free mechanic, by the way, is so broken is this, is that most mechanics, development can just add some mana to it, and now it's not a problem. But the free mechanic has this really weird quality where there are broken cards that adding a mana to it sometimes makes it more broken. That, that's, that's a tough mechanic to make that true on. Um, the other thing, by the way, is because we untap lands and there are ways in this environment to have lands that produce more than one mana. I mean, Urza Saga, for example, has Gaia's Cradle and Sarah's Embrace and Talarian Academy that all produce lots of mana, especially, especially Talarian Academy. Um, so the idea that you can untap a land when just one of the lands could produce a whole bunch of mana meant that not only did you get your mana back, but the free spells really in this environment netted you mana. It's like not only, like not only, it's not like this spell was free, it's like it made me money. It should have been called the make me money mechanic instead of the free mechanic. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Yavamaya Elder. So Yavamaya Elder was one green green, so three mana, two of which was green, for a 2-1 human dryad. When it dies, you search your land for two basic lands uh, and then put, put them in your hand. Uh, and for two in sack, you can draw a card. So this was one of the death triggers that cycling from play with the death trigger. This one's particularly good. This is one of the ones, uh, this one's all played because um, you end up drawing three cards. Um, and what I mean by that is you actually draw a card because if you sack it, you get a draw card. And you go through your deck and you get two lands and put them in your hand. Now, of the three cards you draw, they're not off the top of your deck. Um, but as, I, as I've mentioned earlier, like with, um, um, that just just getting lands out of your deck. Um, I'm talking about, uh, uh, what was I talking about earlier? Land tax. 
that like it's really really powerful is just get lay, just get cards even if they're land because there are ways and means to turn cards into other values and hey getting mana also is very valuable but even once the point where the mana managed to you the cards as a, as a unit can still mean something for example take something like Mastercard that I talked about a couple podcasts ago Mastercard like requires the cost of just feeding it a card well guess what if I if I use this and get some cards I can feed Mastercard with them Mastercard doesn't he, he, he's not a picky eater he'll eat whatever you feed him um, and so this really ended up being a really good card because the card advantage was huge that you from one card netted three cards um, and, and one of which not all of which were land one of which was an actual card off the top of your deck so okay next Yavamaya Enchantress so Yavamaya Enchantress costs two and a green so three mana total one of which is green it's a two two human druid uh, and it gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment on the battlefield. Note, by the way, not on your side of the battlefield. That's how we would do it nowadays. But on the battlefield. So if your opponent has enchantments, you get a bonus from them as well. Um, I, so the original magic had Verdurian Enchantress, which a lot drew you a card whenever you played an enchantment. Um, and that led to people who really liked playing enchantment decks in green. And this was an enchantment block. And um, we had done in Urza Saga a new version of Enchantress. Um, the, the one with Shroud, I believe. Uh, not, not called Shroud. It wasn't called Shroud at the time. Um, so anyway, I was trying to make a different kind of card that you might want to play. And so the idea here was, well, what if I just got bigger? Ra- rather than netting you card advantage, what if I just got bigger? And the idea is, okay, play this in a really heavy enchantment deck, and then this can be one of your kill conditions because you know, I just have a bunch of, a bunch of things and it get really, gets really big. And Limited, this card also did a neat thing. Just, I mean... Uh, not that this was, I think this card was rare, so it didn't show up a lot in limited, but um, you could build around and do neat things where you had auras and things and just really make it really big. Um, okay, next. How are we doing on time here? Let me check my time. Okay. We are uh, doing good. Okay, next. Yavamaya Hollow. So Yavamaya Hollow was a legendary land. You could tap it to add a colorless mana to your mana pool, or you could tap green and tap it and regenerate target creature. Um, so why do I bring up this land? This is, a, this is a nothing... I mean, the, the land is functional. It was a decent land. It did see play. But why do I bring it up? I bring it up because this is part of the mega, mega cycle. So here's what happened. Something we did... It took us five years to do this. Over the course of five blocks, we made a cycle in which one appeared in each block. So let me explain. In Barrage, which was the first set to do this, in the first set, which was Mirage, we made Teferi's Isle, which was a phasing island that produced two mana. Um, and then in Tempest, the next block, in Stronghold, in the second set, in the middle set, we made Volrest Stronghold, which was a, a, a land that um, allowed you for black to get creatures back from the graveyard. I think they went to the top of your library. Um, then in Urza Saga, in the third set, uh, we made a green card, Yavamaya Hollow, which regenerates creatures for green. In um, Mass Block, in the second set, uh, we made Corhaven, which was a white card. I forget what Corhaven did. Something, something whitish. Boost your team or something. And then in Invasion, in the first set, in Invasion, we made Keldon Necropolis, which was a red card that did damage. So if you notice, we made a cycle, and the way the cycle worked is it was over five years, five blocks. It was first set, second set, third set, second set, first set, and it made all five colors during the course of five years. Um, and we, we occasionally make what we call mega cycles, which are cycles that go within a block. Like, for example, um, Odyssey had 
five alt-win conditions, one in each color, and the cycle ran through the course of the block. That um, the red and blue one was in Odyssey, uh, the black one was in Torment, and then the white and green one was in Judgment. And it was a, so we call that a mega cycle, the cycle that runs through the, not in a singular set, but through the course of a block. Well, mega, mega cycle ran through the course of five blocks. Um, that is the only time we've ever done that. I, I mean, we've done other larger things. We, we've had other larger themes, um, like ATOGs. I guess we made a cycle of ATOGs. Uh, that wasn't done one per block, though. That was kind of done, uh, like, the original ATOG was Antiquities, and then um, uh, Foratog was in Mirage, and then Chronotog was in Visions, and then Necrotog was in Weatherlight, and then Oratog was in Tempest. So we, I mean, the first of the cycle was earlier, but once we got there, I then four in a row finished the cycle. So we've done stuff like that, but this is the only mega, mega cycle that ran over five different blocks. Uh, anyway, I thought that was cool. I, 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 it would entertain me to do more stuff like that now. It's just a lot harder when we're, we're all the planning we're doing. Uh, there's so much interconnectivity and, and just things that we kind of do now that we never did back then that make it harder to just have a random card to do random shenanigans. Although I, I do appreciate random shenanigans. Okay, the final card today is Yogmoth's Bargain. Okay, so Yogmoth's Bargain uh, costs four black black. It's an enchantment. You skip your draw step and you pay one life to draw a card. So this card was... Um, there was a card in Magic obviously called... Uh, what was it called? Necropotence. That was really powerful. You skipped your draw phase uh, and then you could pay life to, at the end of turn, draw cards. So I was trying to make a cleaner version of, of uh, Necropotence, but uh, I was blending with a card called Greed. And what Greed was, was a card in which you paid black and two life to draw a card. So I was kind of crossing the two of them together. Um, so the card, the playtest version of the card was called Intolerance, because it was a Greed variant. So for those that did not go to film school, uh, Greed and Intolerance are two really famous silent films. So I was making a little uh, film joke. Um, so anyway, I made Intolerance. I costed it BBB, um, but you had to pay two life to draw a card, not one life. So my original card was BBB, so it matched Necropotence, uh, and you skipped a draw phase, and then you immediately, for two life, got a draw. So it was, it was a cross between Greed and Necropotence. Um, so what happened was, uh, in development, they decided that was, that was problematic, uh, and they changed it from BBB, from Black, 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 to Four, Black, Black. But since they were charging you so much mana, they could go back from two life to one life, and they changed it to pay one life draw card. So I've talked with Eric Lauer about this, and he claims that my version, while still probably a little bit broken, was less broken. Um, so one of my jokes is I talk about I turn in like Replenish and I turn in Academy Rector, like cards that just don't even get changed during all of development. Uh, and probably the most broken card in the whole set, I turned it in at a lower power level, and it got juiced in development. Um, I don't think on purpose. I don't think they were trying to make it more powerful. Um, but anyway, Yogmoth's Bargain uh, and other... I mean, it's been, it's been banned in formats. It's a really, really powerful card. Um, and it turns out not delaying the card draw is quite a thing. So that, another big lesson this card was I had a tendency back in the day to take cards that I liked and then change them, but I didn't always respect the drawback. Tinker is another good example of this where I'm like, oh, why pay the difference between the artifacts? Well, it kind of balances the card. That's why you do it. So, anyway, this was a, a lesson for me of uh, 
Be careful. Understand when you're changing something why you're doing it. Why did the original card work a certain way? It turns out it, there was a reason for it and was valuable. Ah, but Yagma's bargain is in Y-A-W. So we're at the end. That's the end of Ursus Destiny. So um, anyway, my, my wrap-up, I just want to say that I had a lot of fun making Ursus Destiny. It was a real challenge for me. Um, you'll notice that I never again made a set by myself. Uh, I think I got it out of my system and said, okay, I did it. While that's hard, you know what? I can have other people help me. It's okay. Uh, and so I never again designed a, car, a set by myself. Mostly because I think there's so much... like. I'm glad I did it. It's kind of fun to be on my resume. I, I, not that I did enjoy it when I did it, but I realized how much work it was. And like one of the neat things about having a team is having a lot of different vantage points and ideas. And you know, it, it is it is tough doing it all yourself. And like um, it is, I, I really do like having teams. I mean, one of the lessons from this is I was really excited in the beginning to do it, and then I did it, and like I'm proud that I did it. But wow. It really taught me the importance of having a team and how value it is to just have other voices and other people and other designers. And so that was my first and probably my last solo design. But anyway, I'm very proud of it. Like I said, your homework, you had homework. Uh, go look at the set. There, there's a lot of neat, cool, I didn't even go into all the cards. There's a lot of neat, cool stuff. And there's a lot of stuff that shows up there that kind of like you would see later in Magic, but that's a lot of, you know, me messing early in the earliest phases with a bunch of different stuff. I talked about a lot of it during this podcast. But anyway, guys, that is Urza's Destiny. But I'm now in my parking space, so we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. Instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you next time. Bye, guys.